Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the 80th Fireside Chat. Thank you all for being here today. We have a new member with with us today. That's Victor. Um, please go ahead first, Victor, with your questions. Thanks a lot. So, yeah, first of all, uh, Tom, thanks a lot for your work. I found it very, very profound and, and inspiring. So I have uh, a question about the the LCS's motivation for survival and growth. So in the, the MBT books, there is a chapter called What's the Point, which suggests that the LCS is a consciousness ecosystem continually evolves towards survival and lower entropy. However, I find myself wondering, like, what's the point of the point in the sense, like, uh, why do we need a consciousness ecosystem in the first place? And why does it need to survive even at the cost of, of a never-ending effort? So if we assume that consciousness is fundamental and it cannot self-destruct, then we could maybe just, you know, set all the bits, all the reality cells to zero, maybe something similar to the AUO in your books, which would be done not maybe, maybe not by evolution, but by conscious intent. So if we do that, the result would be like a timeless, perfect order, which has obviously no fear, no ego, no belief, but admittedly also no love. So my question is, what would be the entropy of such a system? And why is the LCS not evolving in that direction? All right. Well, that's a bunch of questions all at once, Victor. <laughs> Let me kind of parse those. Uh, yes, the way my system works is that I have consciousness as a very fundamental thing, like a reality cell, and then it evolves. So I start small at the smallest possible unit of consciousness and then show how under the pressures of evolution, it would turn into the, what we call the larger conscious system or, uh, you know, um, otherwise, if we don't do that, we just start with consciousness full up as it is a whole system. If we don't, if we don't evolve, then basically we are kind of in the same place as, as the uh, other non-dualists, and that is that the source just is. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's already perfect, well-developed. Uh, it's not necessarily evolving or growing or becoming. It is. It's perfect. It's infinite. It comes from nowhere. And we just start from there. We are part of that source. And that's kind of the traditional non-dualist space. And they call that source God, for the most part, uh, in all the various non-dualists. You know, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of colors or variations in non-dualism. And MBT is one of those. But if you do that and you just start, uh, that way, then you start with something that is um, done, something that's already finished, it's already evolved, it's already uh, you know a, a consciousness system. It didn't have to evolve from anything. It is supernatural rather than natural. Um, 
and you don't have a way of of describing or understanding you know many of the things that are that are significant so we say this is a virtual reality why is this a virtual reality i mean why would a virtual reality such as this grow up for individuated units of consciousness to play in well in mbt there's a reason for it you know it's about evolution it's about lowering entropy it's about growing up and there's a reason for that vr you need um consequences you need uh, important consequences in order to grow up in order to make meaningful choices very significant choices so you you need all of that um there's all of the all of the things i guess that go with beginnings with growing up the idea that um that why is growing up becoming love why why is that the positive direction of evolution why should evolution want to grow toward becoming love toward cooperation caring why that why not something else why not toward you know just having fun or some other sort of thing why is it toward becoming love well that's because it's moving toward states of lower entropy and in a social system you minimize entropy through cooperation and caring for each other in a social system and that's pretty obvious so if you don't if you start with everything already done then you don't have any of those answers like why virtuality why evolving toward love um you know beginnings how come it is how how did the larger conscious system figure out that love is the answer how did it work that out did it was it just born that way and you know it just was that way well in my model it becomes that way because in order to produce more potentiality in, in more states that it could evolve into it created all these individuate individuated units of consciousness and now had to interact with them and they all have free will and the system had to learn that love is the answer and that uh, you know cooperation is the only way that you can succeed or lower entropy in a social system and at first the system probably tried to bully probably tried to cajole probably tried to order all right all you iuocs you know we're going to do this and that and here's the way we want to be and it didn't work because they all had free will and they said no way we're doing it our way so the only way that the system can grow is if it grows together if it grows as a as a thing you know as a as a as a thing so now that uh, kind of shows that the the system learned about love from us and we have to uh, learn about it from each other through our interactions here so you see just a whole lot of things get explained even uh, a friend of mine at Gazaga University who's the chairman of of uh, religious studies i think there he uh, uh immediately liked the idea that uh, oh this gives an explanation between why the old testament is is a 
a jealous, angry God who turns people into pillars of salt and you know does all sorts of other things. If you don't obey, it's all about obedience and, and that sort of thing. And the New Testament is a God, it's all about love and caring and turning the other cheek and treating your neighbor as yourself and that sort of thing. So there's a very big distinction there between those. Well, one is kind of very ancient history and the other is a little more modern. And maybe that signifies or explains, you know, the or or is a is an example of an LCS growing up, you know, learning about love. So just lots of things. And I could probably, if I thought about it a while, list, you know, six or seven, eight, ten things that we learned by going through this progress from very beginning to the whole. And it it's really what distinguishes us from the other um schools of non-dualism is that non-dualism has nothing to say about beginnings. It just is, and it's perfect, and it's done. And it has nothing to say about endings. In most non-dualism uh, uh, has the ending as you finally grow up and return to the Godhead and become one with the system again which then makes a rational person ask, well, why, if you were already there to begin with, did you break off so that you could suffer? And then after you've suffered enough, you go back to the way you started, which is part of the Godhead. You know, that doesn't seem like a really good plan. You know, what's the point? It's like, well, I know, let's break off pieces and let them suffer for a while, and then we'll bring them back home. Doesn't sound like a, you know, a really rational plan for going forward and at the at the far end not the beginning but at the ending uh you know they have this this idea of returning but the whole point of the system was that it had to break itself into pieces in order to create a a larger set of possibilities you know what can happen when you know what what can a thousand people working together do that one person can't do by themselves? Well, a whole lot of things. You know, you you get um, that's what synergy is all about. That the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So, in any case, uh, then they would have that system going backwards. The parts returning back to the whole is well, the whole split those parts apart for some reason. Of course, the regular non-dualism doesn't know what that reason is. Or can't come up with a really good reason why I would bother doing that. So this gives, you know, rationality to all those things, rationality to the end. In MBT, there is no ending. There, you always, as you mentioned, you know, you always just entropy increases if you don't put energy in to decrease it, decrease it. So that's, it's kind of an ongoing system and it's evolving. So it's open ended. It's not done. It's still becoming what we can become together hasn't been sorted out yet. Now, we're still maybe even in the early stages of that. So that's the main that's the main differences. So by doing it the way MBT does it, you answer a whole lot of questions and make sense out of a whole lot of things that if you start in the middle with it done, and why wouldn't it just stay done? And why would it create any IUOCs that weren't perfect? or at least as perfect as it was, well, maybe when it created those IUs at the beginning, it wasn't all that perfect. It still had a lot to learn itself, you see. 
So that's, I hope I've answered your question, but that's kind of the big, the big answer to your, to your uh, question is why, why does MBT do it that way and not, why not the other way? Well, it's, it's necessary in my mind to see this as a, not a supernatural system, but a natural system called consciousness. And it's evolving. And it started small, just like everything else, and grew up, still growing, open-ended. So there is, there is no, uh, you know, evolution doesn't have a final state. As long as there are, as long as there are new and more possibilities to grow into, then evolution just keeps chugging along. So anyway, that's hopefully that answered that answers your question. It, it is an interesting question. And I actually just thought about all of this in a little more depth just a few months ago, which was when I was talking to Rupert Sparrow, who is a, a, a non-dualist of some renown. And I was, uh, I was interviewed by him and we had a chat and he started in the middle about non-dualism and I was going, uh-huh, yes, 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 I agree, I agree, I agree. And we basically had a, you know, identical, uh, ideas about the nature of things until we got the beginnings and endings. And there we differed, you know, greatly. So that kind of put it all in perspective to me exactly what were the differences and so on. And, and all of the differences come from, uh, making it a uh, a natural system that is uh, not perfect and trying to survive like any other system. Now maybe that's being a little melodramatic, trying to survive. But basically, you you know, if you de-evolve enough, then the information system disappears. There's, there's no longer any information in it. Not that that's you know, a likelihood or even a very, a very high, po- you know, possibility, but still it's, it's evolution. So if that doesn't answer your question and I left something out, I kind of took all of your questions and watered them all up into that one, into that one bag. I hope I got most of them, but there's any still hanging. Go ahead and, uh, and. Yeah, I, I think so. The way I understand your answer is that, uh, the entropy of such, like, if, if we forcefully set the, all the bits to zero, that would be maybe not a smart choice. And that system, even from that state, evolution itself would evolve to, so maybe that's, that's like not, not the lowest entropy state, if I understand correctly, and the system would evolve further. Oh yeah. To so, start making IOCs and that sort of thing is is that correct? Well, setting setting all the states to one or all the states to zero is not low entropy. That that's not the ultimate in order. Taking those states and making some taking those ones and zeros and making something meaningful of them, making something significant of them, making them symbols for other things. That is a much lower entropy than just sending them all to one or sending them all to zero. That, uh, you know, there's, there's levels of, of entropy that the system can achieve, but you achieve entropy, you achieve low entropy by creating order. Well, all ones are all zeros. That's a certain amount of order, but that's not nearly 
as much order as taking those ones and zeros and say, generating mathematics. Now that's another whole bunch of order. You know, let the ones and zeros uh, stand for quantity. So one, one, one might be the quantity of three, or you might go to binary to uh, make your numbers. But there's, there's ways by letting the numbers have meaning and significance to symbolize things that the order that you can create is much more significant and much lower entropy than just having all ones or all zeros. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's not, there, there is, you know, I get this question sometimes is that, well, you know, look, evil, evil sometimes is well organized. You know, look at the death camps, right? They were very well organized. Uh, they were purely evil, but very well organized, very efficient. And they say, well, isn't that low entropy? <laughs> well, yes, it is low entropy, but in a very trivial sense. You know, the destruction, the disruption, you know, the problems created were immensely high entropy and account to subtract that little low entropy because they were well-ordered and efficient, you know, is, is like taking, you know, a trillion and subtracting one from it and say, well, well, at least we had that one that was low entropy. Yes, but the overall result was very high entropy. So orders just is not the only thing, you know, order can be something more, has more dimensions to it than just everything, you know, being in line or everything being efficient. Order has to do with, with how much work can it do? What can it achieve? That's another way of looking at entropy. There's two ways in physics that we look at entropy. One, it's a measure of disorder. And two, it's a measure of the work that can be done by a system. What potential does that system have to do things? And if you, if you do that, then if you look at it that, that second way, you know, the potential to do work, then you can see that, that uh, just having a bunch of ones or zeros doesn't have a whole lot of potential to do anything. So it's still pretty high entropy. So that's, that's kind of another way of looking at entropy. You know, you, and the two are associated. Actually, those two are very associated. For example, you take a, you know, a glass of gasoline. Now, if you have a glass of gasoline, you could atomize it, like put it in a, a sprayer, throw a match in, and you'd have a really big explosion. You'd have a lot of energy, and that explosion would be able to change all sorts of things, you know, blow things apart, make big holes, burn things up. You know, it would have all kinds of, of energy that it had. But you can just let that gas, gasoline sit there in that glass for a while, and its molecules would all evaporate. And now you have all that gasoline, same molecules, but they're spread all over the atmosphere. What can it do? What kind of... How, what changes can it make? What's its ability to, you know, to do something and make changes? Well, um, none. Doesn't have any ability. So you see the two do travel together, the disorder and the ability to do work. So, um, that's, that's entropy from, from like the second definition of entry. You know, it's ability to do work, low entropy things are ordered in such that they can accomplish things, do things, affect things, make changes. And high entropy things can't do anything. They're impotent. They just are, but can't actually function 
to do anything. Well, a whole bunch of ones or a whole bunch of zeros don't really accomplish anything either, other than they're, they all look the same. I see. So you said in the middle that if, you, if we don't put in work, then the entropy will automatically increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say something about is, whether that is a fundamental property of consciousness I, my understanding was that it's it's more like a thermodynamics thing which is you know part of pmr physics but yeah. the way you said it it seems like it's it's more fundamental yes it is fundamental to pmr physics obviously everything has a vapor pressure everything eventually will just kind of disappear into molecules spread around evenly everywhere but in consciousness, if you if you don't make any effort to evolve or grow up, if you just stay still without any thought about you know what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, uh, uh, how to be helpful, if you don't have any thoughts about any of that, then you'll start being less helpful. I mean, part of the ways that you're helpful is because you're looking to be helpful. You want to be helpful. You're motivated to care and to, and to, uh, uh, you know, be useful, to be part of the solution. That's your motivation. That's low entropy. But if you, lo- if you don't have that, if it's just like, okay, I, I'm not going to be positive or negative. I'm just going to be. Here I am. I'm at this state of entropy. Now I'm just going to be. I'm not going to put any effort into it. Well, already, you're not being as much a part of the solution as you were before because you're you're just not trying anymore. You kind of have given up the, you're not putting energy into it. So I guess that's the way to, you know, the best way to say it. If you're not putting any of your um, intentional focus into being part of the solution, then you become maybe neutral. You're maybe not part of the problem either. You're just not also not part of the solution. Well, you might even say that people who are, are neutral aren't all that helpful. Well, they could be doing more. So in that sense, you do. If you, if you stop working and you stop caring and you just say, I'm done, I'm done with it, then immediately you start your, you know, your, your, uh, Entry level starts to go up. You become less able to do work, less able to change things, less able to make a difference. So then your entropy goes. So it seems like it's kind of a universal principle that applies everywhere in order to, to, uh, in order to keep growing, keep evolving. You have to put in effort. You don't evolve without effort. And if you don't evolve, then you begin to de-evolve. Evolution takes effort. I guess it takes caring. Caring is a positive thing. You know, it requires energy to do something. You just can't sit and let everything go by. So, yeah, I think it is a, it is just a kind of a general idea that uh, there, there is no end. One is going to be, you know, uh, you know, put it in a negative way on this treadmill, you know, 
for forever. It's just a part of being. That's that's the price you pay for being, for existing. If you're going to exist, then it's going to take a little effort to continue to exist. So that's the price paid for being consciousness. Any anything that pulls together a low entropy thing, then it's that can do stuff, can change things, can be something, then you have to continue to work at it or it starts to dissipate. Okay. Thanks. So. Thanks a lot for the answer. It's, it's very helpful. All right, Boris, please go ahead. Hey, Tom. Um, so my question is about divine grace. Uh, I'm going to read it because otherwise I'm going to get lost. So my question is about um, following consecutive spiritual awakening over the last years. I've been working relentlessly. Sorry for transition. To wake up from the dream through research, meditation, and healing. This endless chase has been leading me to so much peaks and valley and to the understanding that the actual awakening is not up to me as an AUSC. So I'm feeling more and more that the actual efforts we put into spiritual practices is simply here to prepare the field and that the actual awakening happens by divine grace and many factors that are outside of our human consciousness. So my question is, uh, if you could share a little bit more I mean, a little bit about your experience on the topic. Um, I wonder a little what you mean by divine grace. Can you, <laughs> can you define one. that? Yeah, can you <laughs> define that a little more precisely? There's a thing I don't really know. Um, I've read about that in many traditions. Basically, mm -hmm. my idea here is, yeah, I've been working myself to awaken, but I'm finding out more and more that it's not up to me. It's up to the RCS. Well, I would probably dis <laughs> I would probably disagree with that, Boris. That is, I think it is mainly up to you, not up to the LCS. Um, no doubt, as you evolve, like you say, you find peaks, you find valleys. You know, it looks like you progress for a while, and then it seems to not go anywhere, and you may be a little frustrated with that because you have a sense that you'd like to get there and be that and get to the you know, as high as you can get, as soon as you can get there. But growing up is not that easy. It's not that simple. And it's not a, it's not a, a direct path. It's got hills and valleys, but those valleys are part of the learning situation. You see, we're not working to escape. It's not an escape. We're not working to, to, to get beyond this and, and get out of it and escape it. We're working to become, not to escape. And those valleys that you get into that seem like, oh, I thought I was really doing good, but now here I am again, you know, just kind of same place I was before. Those valleys are places where you get to I don't know, you get to practice. That's your application. That's where what you've learned gets gets uh, applied to reality, however you find it. You, know, you apply it there. And that application is important. It can't just be all, you know, learning, all... Uh, 
we say, uh, you know, it's, it can't be all in your all in your mind in the sense that it's not it's not experience. It has to be experience too. You have to go out and interact with things. You have to take what you've learned and apply it to people. Apply it to being useful. Apply it to making connections. Apply it to relationships. That's how you become part of the solution. If you just grow up and up and, you know, you, uh, you uh, kind of go from, from being here to floating above it all to disappearing into the great beyond, then that's escaping. That's going away. So I think you keep getting grounded. You keep being thrown back into the, you know, back into the pool saying, all right, swim. You know, and you say, oh, I thought I climbed out of this pool. And it's, uh, well, you, you, you've learned some things, but now go back and, you know, be useful. You know, teach that, teach that person next to you how to swim. You know, do something that's valuable here. Cooperate, care, right? About other. So, if if it was just a matter of our own kind of ascension into the you know into you know mysticism and into you know the being one with all and that sort of thing then the best way to get there would be to you know like some of the uh, old yogis did you know go find a cave you know and go go live in it and spend 12 hours a day in meditation and you would get there more quickly but that's really not what it's about. What it's about is caring, cooperating, being part of something bigger. That's what it's about. Not disappearing into the, into the great beyond and coming one with the Godhead. It's about being useful here, interacting, helping. So it does pull you back into this, into this level. And the valleys are always there for you to reconnect, but you reconnect in a, at a, at a higher, at a higher entropy level. You understand more things. You're able to be more helpful. You're able to do more. You're not at the same place you were. And then you evolve a little more and you come and you can help at a little higher level. You see, in the beginning, we tend to work just on ourselves. It's just about us, right? We're going to work on ourselves. We're going to get rid of that fear, get rid of that ego, get rid of those beliefs. And we spend our time focused on that. And that's a good thing. That's not being too self-centered. That's a good thing. You should work on getting rid of your fear and your ego and your beliefs. But eventually, as you become more and more successful at getting rid of that fear, ego, and belief, you're your attitude changes from one of student to one of teacher. So you evolve yourself to the point that you can be more useful to other people and you keep evolving yourself. But as you become more useful to other people, you need to be more useful to other people. And you can only do that by getting involved with other people and connecting with them and interacting with them at the level that they happen to be at which helps pull them up. You can't say, well, here I am and I have the answers and you need to grow up to be where I am and then I'll be able to talk to you. That's not so helpful. You need to go where they are and interact with them in a way that you give them good example. You help them understand. You give them just the next little baby step that they need to take in order to see a bigger picture. And then you wait patiently for them to maybe take that baby step 
And after that, and they get used to that baby step, which to them is a giant step, then you can take, help them take the next little baby step. You see, so you change from being the seeker who wants to get rid of fear, ego, and beliefs to a teacher who wants to help other people get rid of fear, ego, and beliefs, wants to build something better. Think of us, you know, a century from now or two centuries from now, however it is, and we have, you know, what, uh, four or five billion people, all who understand that they're here to become love, all caring, all wanting to help and build and create something together. What could they, what could they create? What could billions of people together create? Think of the, think of the uh, collective consciousness <laughs> that you would have and the power that that collective consciousness would have. You know, that would be a great force for, for good. Or think of, you know, a billion people and each one of them sitting in their own cave. So you got a billion people sitting in a billion caves and they're all trying to improve themselves. Well, you kind of run out of steam there after a while. All right. So you're, you're now you're the improved model. Now, now get out there and do something with it, you know, make something of it. That's the, that's the idea. Yes. A billion people each sitting in their own cave doesn't really make anything that's much bigger for all of us. That's not the point. So, you know, that's what I would say about that. Yes, you get, you, you go inward, you grow, you get rid of fear, you become love, uh, you're empathetic, you have all of these things. And now you're kind of back in a world again. And it seems like the only way you're going to get there is with this, uh, this divine grace where the larger conscious system comes in and taps you and takes you away into the ether. And now you become, you know, I don't know what you become, you know, an angel or special, special friend of the LCS, uh, you know, get five gold stars next to your name. I'm not sure what, what's going to happen there, but in any case, that's really not the point of it all. Now, a lot of Eastern philosophies, that is the point of it. And in the general, in the non-dualist philosophy, that is the point of it. You come here and suffer until you go, don't have to suffer anymore. And then you go back home, you know, and that's kind of the idea that it is about escaping, growing up and escaping. But I don't really see, so, you know, the value in that. I don't see that that is a, um, what a philosophy that works real well. It doesn't seem to, to, to go anywhere. It just seems to be a, yeah, it's it's a cycle that really doesn't have a whole lot of purpose. It just does it because that's what it does. But there's not a lot of purpose in it. All right, let me break off piece of myself and let it suffer until it stops suffering, and then it'll come back. And then I'll break off it. You know, maybe I'll break it off again and let it suffer some more until it comes back. But there doesn't seem to really be a. You know, it's not going anywhere. It's just this the cycle that goes around and around and around, but doesn't have a whole lot of purpose to it. And in my mind, things need purpose. Things don't just happen for no purpose. Things don't exist for no purpose. They have to 
be developing. They have to be going someplace. They have to be growing. They have to be giving back. They have to be building something, not just a cycle of, of you know, individual pieces suffering and then becoming better and then more suffering. It's just, you know, like, again, you end up where you started. So I see this as, a, as an evolutionary process. And part of that is that you have to engage with the rest of the world. Now, after you come out of your cave and you have very little ego and very little, uh, you know, fear and so on, and you just, you've been, you've been, uh, what, a seeker for a long time. And now you're up at this rarefied level. All right. Oh, going back into the, into the, they're going back into the cesspool or whatever you want to call it, you know, there where, where all this, ordinary people are you know well that's like who wants to do that Ooh, i don't want to you know rub up against all that nasty smelly sticky stuff i graduated i got out of that but then that becomes your ego you see yourself as better you see yourself as as the new improved model and you don't want to get reintegrated with all the junk and negativity and stuff that's here well, you, the point is you don't have to. You don't have to become it. What you do is you're here to help it to help it grow. You become part of the solution here. It's not that you join it. You should come back here and, and start suffering again by making a lot of poor choices. You you understand. Bring that understanding back and apply it in some way. Find ways to, to be part of the solution, to be part of the thing that a century from now we have billions of people who are Caring, loving, all about other. Wow, now that would be great to have a society like that. Wow, what we could do with that. Just think of the potential we have. How much potential in each individual is lost. You know, what, what, what is the human potential? What could it become? And how much it is lost in destruction and negativity and that sort of thing. Well, that's what we're working toward. And there's really no end to that. What could we do? What could we be? What if all seven and a half billion of us were caring and loving and had big pictures? What could we do with that? Well, I think we could do some things that are so marvelous we can't even think of them now. You know, that would be a wonderful place. And maybe we would then go to other virtual realities, other places to try to help them grow up. I don't know. You know, that's that's so far out ahead of my experience that it's hard for me to say anything too rational about it. But I just see the potential, though I can't necessarily define it because it's not my experience yet. So that's how I would, that's how I would, uh, talk to you about, about the, you know, waiting for divine grace to come pluck you up and, and send you someplace is not what it's about and divine grace is not going to do that. And it's going to make you feel frustrated because why not? Look, I paid my dues. I've been in the cave. I, you know, I've gotten rid of my fear. Why don't you come get me? I'm ready to find grace. Uh, what's the problem? And then you end up with frustration and then that frustration starts to lead to, Oh man, I don't know if any of this stuff made any sense. Maybe I've just, you know, been, uh, you know, pushing on a, pushing on a string and, Nothing really happens here. I may have missed the whole boat. What if I've deluded myself all this time? And then you start getting negative and then you see the whole thing, you know, the whole thing falls apart, starts to, starts to, uh, starts to come unglued. So 
I think that's probably not a good space to, to go to is waiting for divine grace to come in and deliver you to, you know, the, the, the cloud of your choice and, you know, the harp of, of your choice and, and let's let you be there. So that would be my, my sense of, of, you know, what it's all about and, and why you, you feel kind of stuck that you're just not progressing because I think your sense of progression is not one of service so much as it was, is it's personal progression. You're going to progress upward personally until you escape. But that's, that is dominant Eastern philosophy, but I just don't see it that way. It doesn't seem to, to provide the logic or the, the potential or have the purpose that the, you know, the MDT model has. So I don't know. I guess that's, that's all I have to say about it, Boris. Yeah, Hopefully thanks. that's helpful. Yeah. I got, I got busted about uh, escapism. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I had another question about presence, uh, which I've been supposed to ask for months now. Um, Basically, I've been led um, as yes, yes, to integrate its presence deeper outside of meditation or even relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be curious if you, if you would have any tips to anchor deeper the yes, yes presence into every moment outside of meditation or, yeah, outside of meditation. Yeah. Of course, the way to actually do that as well as it can be done is just to become love. You know, if your if your motivations are caring and your motivations are about how can I help and how can I serve and and uh, you know how can I be part of the solution, then you just naturally would do all the right things. You know, you will be present. That that uh, that presence of love, that presence of caring, that presence of uh, fearlessness is something you'll bring to everything, everything you do. You will, you will do it and you'll kind of understand why and, and how it connects to the whole and you feel positive about it. You know, even you get up in the morning and you make your bed and it's nice and tidy. You know, you, it, it looks good when you're done and you wonder, why did I do that? You know, I'm just going to pull it apart tonight, but you realize that that's, Low entropy. You've made that bed. Everything in its place. It looks good. It looks neat. Your environment is now more aesthetic. It's more pleasing. But not only to you, to everybody. So, you know, just little things like that. How you treat other people. How you connect. It creates an environment that is healthier. Where people are more able to grow in that environment. You know, you walk into a I don't know, a place of work or somebody's house or your own house or whatever. You walk into a place and just everything's strewn all over the place. That is very high entropy, but it, it's not helpful to your, to your growth. It's not helpful to your thinking. It's not helpful to, to your uh, being in that kind of an environment. So just trivial things like your environment, like making your bed, you know, tying your shoestrings in the morning, even though you're going to untie them again that night, you know, doing all the little things that seem meaningless in your life and doing them well, doing them for a reason. 
you make the world a little neater place. When your bed's made, the world's just a little neater place than it was otherwise. And that makes you part of the solution. You see, less of the chaos. And okay, that's a small thing. You know, Boris's bed's made. You know, how does that affect the whole world? You know, well, not much, but it is a part of that whole world. And it's a little less chaos. So you just see yourself as a kind of a, I don't know, a, a source of low entropy. And you share that wherever you can. You're the person that if you see, you know, if people are arguing and maybe they're both friends of yours, you know, you're the, you're the one that can kind of tone that down. Say things to each one that lets them settle down and, and get over their big ego problem and, and maybe see things better because you don't get that way because you don't have that fear that makes you upset and get angry. So you're the, you're the water that puts out the fire. You know, and just wherever you go in life, the people you associate with, the relationships you have, you just leave light wherever you go because you are light. That's the that's how you become part of the solution. When you become light, when you become love, then you just leave little nice things, little made beds all over the place, wherever you go in your relationships, you know, the people you see in your job, whatever it is you do. It just, it's follows you around. You spread it just by example. And that helps. It helps tremendously. And then as you get uh, a more experience under your belt and you find, <laughs> you think you've come to a place of solidity and uh, so on, then you'll do things like you'll write books. You'll make videos. You'll, uh, you know, you'll do things that will help other people on a larger scale. But meanwhile, your life, your day-to-day -day life just needs to be led naturally just because you care about people and things. And then when you find yourself getting upset or annoyed or, or whatever, then you say, ah, I guess I still have some work to do. And you work on those things. So you're always working on yourself. But at the same time, you're spreading low entropy wherever you go. If we just had a few million people doing that, it would change the whole nature of, of our planet. So, you know, we do, we do our part. The other 100 million people have to do their part whenever they grow up to it, you know, but we just do our part. And it is what it is. Thank you, Tom. Arthur, please go ahead. Okay, thanks. How to deal with the fear of abandonment? Is it a root fear or are there deeper fears behind? A person abandoned in a past life could carry this fear forward, as an example. Yeah, the fear of abandonment is made of other fears. You know, that's just abandonment is a particular, uh, you know, a particular experience to wrap fear around. But the abandonment, you know, every... Everyone who has a feeling of abandonment isn't the same. You know, they come in all kinds of different colors and shapes and sizes. And that's because the component fears making them up are all, are all different. Part of a big part of abandonment can be a feeling of not being good enough. A, you know, a feeling of not being worthy. Of course, that's why you were abandoned, right? Well, you must not have been worthy. That's why you were abandoned. Well, that's not rational. That's <laughs> a, 
that's an irrational thought. Of course, it wasn't because, you know, you weren't worthy. It was because of whoever it was abandoned. That was their thing, not your thing. But we don't act like that, particularly or we don't think like that, feel like that, particularly when we're children. We start taking on senses of being inadequate. We take fears of being left, fears of not the you know not being good enough but people don't uh, really care about us you know that we're not cared for okay i got a lot of friends but i don't have any really good friends i don't have anybody who would really stick by me thick and thin hot and cold they'd, they'd be here i just have a lot of acquaintances well we tend to see that but when you feel that way then you you find that everywhere in other words if you have these fe- these these fears of not being good enough, not being lovable, um, not being desired, not being wanted. I think it does come down mostly to just not being good enough, not being adequate, not being what you need, what you think you need to be. And that is a very core fear. Matter of fact, a very large number of the population has that fear of not being good enough, feeling inadequate insecure that's a and for a hundred different reasons not all for the same reason you know for a hundred probably a thousand different reasons people have that abandonment's just one of those those reasons if they were abandoned sometime then they have this sense of of failure of not being adequate so i think that's the core fear underneath the the abandonment fear and anything that is negative about yourself is dysfunctional. Any feeling you have, any idea you have that is negative, you know, being negative about yourself, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm not competent. I'm not lovable. People can easily walk away from me because I'm just not all that much. And I fear that they will. So I'm afraid to invest in that relationship because I know in a deep, secret, fearful place that they're likely to walk away from me. Therefore, I don't have deep relationships. And then they look at the fact that they don't have deep relationships and people walk away from them and, you know, that just verifies it. Well, part of the reason that's the case is because you believe it. And when you believe it, you create it. When you have those negative beliefs, you create that negative situation. And that's the problem. So you live your life and you see it everywhere. Look, I had this relationship and that relationship. And everywhere in your life are examples of people walking away and not sticking with you. Now, some of that may be true because that's what you are creating. But a lot of that is just your interpretation. Remember, your reality isn't necessarily what happens. Your reality is how you interpret what happens. And you are, you, somebody who feels abandoned would be very likely to interpret all sorts of things as abandonment, even when they're not, because that would be how you'd interpret it. So you've got two things against you there. One, your interpretation is going to, is going to follow that fear. And two, you're going to behave in ways to create that, you know, make that fear come true, to materialize that fear. So. So that's all the bad news. (laughs) What is the good news? The good news is that you can get, you know, you need to get rid of that fear. 
and you get rid of that fear, you know, in the, I've explained many places, you can, you can look that up. You know, we have a, we have a new, uh, sort through all the thousands of hours of my YouTube by subject. We have that tool now. So you can go to my site and get it, uh, and, uh, there's a link and you can go in there and put, you know, how to deal with fear and you'll get a whole bunch of stuff will come up about that. But basically first you just have to recognize it, it is a fear. And two, you have to look and see how that fear has changed your life, how that fear has driven your choices. And when you do, that should give you enough incentive to, to get rid of it. And you have to be aware of it. What does that fear sound like? What kind of choices do I make? You know, what, how does it affect me? And then be aware of that. And when you feel yourself being affected by it, just stop. Say, no, I don't want to be that way. And have a strong intention. I don't want to be that way. And eventually you won't be that way. Because you're, you're having this strong intention. We'll modify that probability. And you'll stop being that way. But it's not something you can just do for a week or something you can think about, you know, once a week. This is something that has to be in the back of your mind all the time. Ah, I feel that feeling of, of being insecure in this relationship or afraid to really develop and invest in that relationship because it might turn out to be bad. You know, when you get these things, you get stop. Uh, I don't want to be that way. If it looks like this is a relationship that has potential, I'm going to invest in it. And if it goes bad, I'll deal with that positively and I'll invest in the next one. You see, positive attitude. You're not going to be like that. So that's how you, that's how you deal with it. But this feeling of inadequacy is when you talk about pandemic, it's, it's everywhere. Lots and lots of people have this feeling of being inadequate. It's, it's, uh, it's very, very common. So you're, you're not in a boat alone. You're in a boat with a whole lot of other people. So when you have two people and they meet each other and they both have feelings of inadequacy, you see there's a problem there. Both of them are a little afraid to invest because they feel inadequate and it's probably not going to work out. So I don't want to invest and get in it and then suddenly have it go away because, you know, it'll blow up. So you have two people that are afraid to really give. Well, a relationship where everybody's afraid to give doesn't work out very well. And then they go, uh-huh, I knew it, see? It just fell apart. It always does. So you create it. You make it come true. So realize that it's not only you, but everybody else is in that boat too. So you have to have some some understanding that other people are also shy. And you have to cut them slack and cut yourself slack and discuss it. And don't don't hide it. You know, keep you know, be honest and upfront with people how you feel, why you feel that way. People of quality will be willing to work with that. People of low quality won't. Well, when it comes to people of low quality, good riddance. The people of quality that you'd really like to have relationships, well, we'll, we'll, we'll be okay working with that as long as it's upfront and honest. What they can't work with is the hidden stuff that comes up and just bites them in the dark. That's problematic. But if you're upfront and forward and honest and whatever, Good people can work with that. Okay. Thank you. And there's You're... another question about dream. 
So if the source of a dream is myself, is it the free will awareness unit or the IOC? Does the IOC send the data stream to the dreaming free will awareness unit? No, the dreaming is not always of yourself. That dreaming can be given to you from elsewhere. And it's mostly data stream that you're getting from the larger consciousness system. And mostly it's data that you need, information, you know, things you need to learn, but not always. Sometimes your dreams are just generated by yourself. You know, so it's not like dreams only come from one source. You can just generate them by yourself. You, you can, uh, it can be you working out your own problems. It can be you trying to deal with things that you're going to have to deal with in the near future. It could be you, um, experiencing your fears, you know, in, in the dream world, it, it could be all sorts of things, but mostly the ones, the dreams that are more meaningful are dreams that, that just come from the LCS. Think of it as another virtual reality game. All of your experiences are just different virtual reality games. So if you look at it that way, then yeah, it can be just you. Sometimes you get so involved in something that you dream about it. You know, that's not from the LCS. That's just you because you're preoccupied with it. You're consumed by it. I remember once looking, you know, 150 envelopes and putting stamps on them and something, uh, you know, and I did that and all night long that night, you know, I'm licking envelopes and stamping things because it was, I thought it would never end, you know, one of those things. So that's not the LCS, you know, having fun with me, you know, giving me envelopes to lick in the, in the non-physical that's, uh, that's just me having trouble letting go of something that uh, was almost uh, obsessive, you know, getting done with, with the big pile that needs to be, that needs to be sent out. So hopefully that will help. Tom Campbell here. I and MBT events. Hope you liked this video. We now have well over a thousand hours of free video on this user-friendly, ad-free YouTube channel. Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.